three special ladies from our church that are going to share a word today, uh, two through a message that God's put on their heart, and one through a song that when, when this service is over, if you have not experienced the compassionate love of the Father, um, then we, we need to talk later because you, you are going to experience it today. If you are a first through fifth grader, first through fifth grade, um, and, and you're here with your mom, maybe give your mom a break today and go out to the back. We have um, some special time of teaching just for you. First through fifth grade, go ahead to the aisles and go out to the back. And you'll catch up with your moms later on. Maybe you'll be making something special for her. I'm not sure what's going to go on there. And just to give you just kind of an idea of how this is going to go, a few weeks ago I sent out a message to some of our leaders and I said, hey, who has a story, a testimony of what God's doing in your life and how this church has impacted you? And Kelly Winkler um, approached me and she said, I have this, te- I have this word, but I think it would be be better maybe if there's in a different setting or whatever. So, well, hey, would you be willing to share on Mother's Day? And she said, yes, absolutely, because she's going to split the time um, with another woman who is pretty special to me. Uh, She goes by the title of Mrs. Brady Testdorf. And so my wife is going to share at the end of the service, and she has prepared and prepared and prepared and she has, I just really feel like God's put a special word in her heart that's going to minister, obviously not just to the women in the room, but just to everyone. And so it's going to be, it's going to be really good. And then at the end, Shannon's going to come and sing for us. And, and I've, been, I've been encouraging her to use this gift that she's been given. And so, um, Kelly, why don't you go ahead and come on up. And just let's, just, let's just identify the fact that as I was thinking about that song, Jesus Walk With Me, there's a lot of different scenarios in the room today where we need Jesus to walk with us when it comes to the thought of motherhood. And some are here today uh, and they're grieving the loss of their mother or they're a mother who's grieving the loss of a child or, they're, or you're here today and your relationship with your mom is, is not healthy for whatever reason or your mom's not able to be close to you and, um, or your desire is to be a mom, and it hasn't happened yet. And so we, we just realize that we, we need Jesus to walk with us in all those scenarios, right? No matter whether it's like really, really good, like you could be the mother of the year, and you still need Jesus to walk with you. Um, and so let's just pray, and then Kelly's going to come. Father, in the name of this Jesus who left heaven and came to earth to walk in our skin, He had a mom, and he loved her. He loved her to the very last day that he spent here on earth. He still loves her, still is present with her, and she needed him then, and we need you now, Lord Jesus. Would you speak to the hearts of the mothers in the room? Speak to those of us who, who are not with our mothers today for whatever reason. Would you, would you just use the words of these two ladies that you've chosen to speak today and then use the, the, the anointing that you've given this, this precious sister to share with us at the end. God, would you heal broken hearts today? Would you encourage us today? Would we walk out of here being grateful for obviously the, just what you've done for us and what you're going to do through us? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Kelly, go ahead and come.
Good morning. I'm Kelly Winkler, and in the back is my husband Josh of 10 years, and son Caleb and daughter Lauren. And some Sundays you can find me up front um, doing sound, but most of the time we're tucked in the back there, so Caleb's not doing ninja stuff up front. Um, I had a picture for you of when we first met. I'm speaking on marriage today, but the projector's broken, so you guys can go on Facebook later for that. Um, for some time now, I feel like I felt like I was supposed to share some of my story, some of our story about marriage, and I ran into Brady at the Y, and I accidentally mentioned that to him, and so here I am. Um, this is super scary to be up here, and... I used to be on the radio actually a long time ago for four years and um, when you go on air you know that a hundred thousand people are listening to you and that wasn't scary but this is (laughs) this scares me a lot Um, I felt like God telling me at some point that this day would come and that I would actually share some of my experiences with marriage um, to encourage others to stay married or particularly those who want to be married someday. Marriage is special. (laughs) Christian marriages, I feel, should be a blessing to those who aren't in the church and to help reveal the beauty and the loving, uh, the beauty of a loving Savior and his church. I'm speaking on marriage this morning, but not because mine is perfect. My husband and I have had a lot of struggles, and at many times I've asked God along the way, why do I have to go through this? And he told me that I would encourage others someday. I entered into marriage with rose-colored glasses. I had lofty ideas of what I thought marriage would feel like. And in some ways, I really thought it would be a fairy tale. So back to the beginning, uh, Josh and I met at Northwest Missouri State University. I lived with five girls, and one of my roommates was dating his roommate. Uh, Side note, this was around the time that Facebook had just become a thing. Um, So Josh blew off an effort of one of our roommates to get he and I on a blind date. And that same night, he stalked me on Facebook. He decided I had nice arms per my profile picture (laughs) and thought he might be missing out. Now, another side note, Josh actually lived above a gym. He was a big meathead. And if you're from Northwest, um, you might remember looks. Jim, he lived above there, so arms were a big deal to him. A couple months after I met him, the group of roommates all went on a group date down to Kansas City, and at the end, it was just Josh giving me a ride back to Maryville. He talked all the way back, and shortly before we entered back into town, I had that still small voice tell me that he would be my husband. Coincidentally, Josh heard the same thing from God, but about mile marker 18, not 77. Just a few weeks prior to this night, I had just ended a three-year relationship that ended very painfully. It was hard to get over, and some of that baggage carried over into our marriage. I can remember begging God through tears not to even bring another guy around, unless it was my husband. And sure enough, he answered that prayer very quickly. But even though I got that answer and was sure it was from God, doubt crept in. I could justify how Josh wasn't my usual type, He was younger than me. His last name was Winkler. I didn't like that last name. And if I was going to be a news reporter, it needed to be like Kelly Cartel. So if those reasons weren't enough um, to question what God had told me on the way back to Maryville, 
The first time I met Josh's mom was about three months or so after we began dating. We went out to eat, and at one point, Josh got up to go to the bathroom. No sooner did Josh get up and his mom and stepdad unleashed a ton of details about Josh's dad, their marriage that ended in divorce, and basically listed all of Josh's wrongdoings and faults and painted Josh out to be some sort of unmarriable, arrogant, rude jerk. So obviously the red flags were flying. And that would just be enough to send anyone in the wrong direction, right? The other direction. So keep in mind, at this time, Josh was studying to be a math teacher. He helped lead a campus ministry, uh, was also working as a youth minister, and on his free nights, he actually babysat for the pastor's kids. So he seemed like marriage material. Nonetheless, the words of his mom and stepdad caused doubt to grow. I told Josh about it, and he was really upset that his mom would do that. It didn't make sense to him. He made efforts to explain how he wasn't his dad and our relationship was different than that of his parents. But the damage was done. You can't unhear something like that. And regardless of this, we continued dating and grew closer. Over the summer, I took a vacation to Florida with my aunt. And while I was away, Josh took a 30-minute journey to southern Iowa. He asked my parents' permission to marry me. They were ecstatic. Josh was way more the type of man that my parents had hoped I would have as a husband compared to the other guys I had dated. It made sense. Even at a younger age, my parents were extremely protective of me when it came to dating. And at one point, they made me break up with a kid from church because his parents were too pushy. It was really embarrassing. Now, when it came to marriage, my mom's advice was simple. She wanted me to marry someone with the same values and morals as I had. So they were approving, of course, that Josh was a Christian. They also liked how invested and interested he was in me and our family. I should also note at this point, um, I wrote this, and Josh actually helped me rewrite it. (laughs) Uh, It's one thing for me to tell just one person, but to tell a large crowd, I wanted his help. Um, And he added in some stories here, and I can't even get through this one without laughing so hard he won't be able to understand it. So just ask me later. Um, despite the doubts that I had, Josh really didn't experience any. He, had, he knew what he heard from God and was committed to our marriage well before I was. He had asked his buddies to pray for him and us as he planned to pop the question. He had asked my parents' permission, and within a few months he'd saved and purchased a ring. He was on the fast track. For me, though, I wasn't as confident. I thought by obeying God and marrying who he picked out for me, that we would be blessed and live happily ever after. But I felt attacked during our engagement. I felt as if Satan saw what God was doing by bringing Josh and I together as a couple. Satan knew that we would be a strong team, and so he pinpointed my weaknesses and leveraged those to build upon the doubts that I had. This led to fear, anxiety, and roadblocks for Josh and I. After a relationship of just 11 months, we were married. And unfortunately, it wasn't the fairy tale I had in my head. We had issues. The roommate thing was hard. It was also hard for me as I was trying to wrap up college. I worked three jobs. It was winter, and Josh didn't work and only had one class. So even though he would cook and bring me fancy homemade sandwiches to the radio station, I had resentment that he was playing and I was working. As if being roommates wasn't hard enough, a year into marriage, Josh's stepmom cornered me one day. I was just there at the wrong time. For some reason, she shared way too much about her marriage with Josh's dad. 
And this was now the second time I've been told a bunch of junk about Josh's dad and his marriages. And the saying that apple doesn't fall far from the tree ran through my mind. I was confused. Hearing this as a young married person was devastating. And I was married to the son. I began looking for faults in Josh, any controlling tendencies, any hints at all, which actually now I'm the controlling one. Um, after his stepmother blasted Josh's dad in their marriage, I was devastated, and I went home feeling helpless. And the next day, I walked six miles obsessing over how I probably would get a divorce as well. Josh had a different relationship with his dad, though. His dad was the coach of basketball, football, and Josh's first love, baseball. To Josh, his dad was a rock that never broke a promise, and only once did he come close to missing a ball game, and that was because he was in a semi-truck accident. His dad had taught him business, worked hard to provide for his family, and he built a strong network of other families through sports so that when his dad was away for work, there were other strong Christian people of influence for Josh. To Josh, it was just kind of a no-brainer that when his parents divorced, he chose to be with his dad. So again, Josh's perspective of his dad was way different than the stories I had been told by his mom and stepmom. The two versions differed so much. It's the least to say that I was confused and I became hardened. I started to look for red flags in Josh and picked on any little thing that came along. I blasted him for each one. I was scared that if I didn't, I would end up being walked over, taken for granted, or possibly abused. Our relationship sucked. And the stresses from others and their bitterness put such a burden on us in our marriage. And with it being so new, it was fragile. We built walls, um, partially with one another, but together, as hard as it was, Josh built walls that separated him from his family, actually. And when I confronted him about how distant things had become with his parents, his response was firm, yet loving. Kelly, you're my family. And it was the flicker of hope that I needed. That flicker was short-lived, though. Around this time, a friend's parents' marriage fell apart. My friend said she wasn't really surprised, and I asked why. Her mom told her when she first got married that she just thought he was a cute, nice, and Christian boy, so she married him. Through the years, it was evident to my friend that her mom wasn't happy. And when she was telling me this, I had a lump in my throat. I felt like that's what I did. So once again, I was convinced that someday it would catch up with me and I would find myself in the same boat as my friend's parents. I let those thoughts overwhelm me, and I was upset that I didn't get to pick out my husband. I was upset that God did it for me. I made a list to describe the guy I wanted to marry, and on the never list was a cowboy, a pastor, and a missionary. And he had been all three of those at one point or another. I started to feel so guilty towards Josh, too. I mean, he married... Me, and he deserved someone as let, you know, who loved him as much as he loved them. And I just didn't feel that way. I finally admitted all these things to a dear friend. And my friend was also struggling, so I learned I wasn't alone. Her sister was older and had already been through the same thing, so I really took her counsel seriously. She recommended the book Power of a Praying Wife by Stormy O'Martian. On the inside cover of the book, she quoted from Matthew 17:20. If you have a faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. My prayer life increased, and I got feisty. One day I was driving, and I told Satan to leave me alone in the name of Jesus. And as silly as that sounds, I felt like it worked for a while. I continued reading Power of a Praying Wife. 
I continued to have transparent conversations with my friends. I half attempted my way through the Love Dare book, watched Fireproof, War Room, went to a marriage conference, went to older women for counsel, read several marriage books, and the list goes on. I sought God for our marriage to protect it, heal it, and bring Josh and I closer. And it was the day before I found out I was pregnant with Caleb that Josh agreed to counseling with me. I had been given a referral from our church, so it was a Christian counselor. It went okay, and we left feeling more encouraged. The counselor mostly spoke to me, and I felt like he was harder on me versus Josh. He painted a picture for us of love being a choice, and love is a decision, not a feeling. So this made sense to us, and we agreed to it and worked on it. But there were still a lot of struggles we had. The thing I valued most from our time with that counselor, actually, was when he was vulnerable himself. He shared that he personally had been married 37 years, and the last 10 of those were the best. Josh and I continued to butt heads, and a few years later, we were due for another visit to the marriage counselor. I found another counselor who came highly referred, and Josh agreed to go with me again. This was not a Christian counselor this time. At least she didn't market herself that way. This counselor really helped us dig into some of our conflicts and work it out. We went for over a year and a half and felt like it was worth every penny. One thing discussed in counseling was the fact that I wanted one more baby and Josh did it. Caleb was really hard for us, so it took me a while to decide that our family needed one more person. Josh disagreed. I actually respected him for that. I didn't want to have a baby with someone who didn't want to. I asked the counselor for help on how to not resent him for not wanting to have another child. She talked through it with us and agreed that she didn't see Josh wavering from his position of just having one. And she laid out a path for me and explained that this would be something I needed to work through individually. I cried a lot. I surrendered. I had prayed that if God saw one more person in our family for us to put it on Josh and he'll come to me. And I just needed to move on. So I did. A few months later, Josh woke me up in the middle of the night and asked if I still wanted another baby. When he asked, I almost said no. I had worked really hard internally on getting past the idea. I was a little scared and a little doubtful, but this is what I had asked God to do, and here he was moving the stubborn mountain of a man that Josh is. So I said yes. About three months later, I put down on one of the prayer cards here to get pregnant. I didn't realize at the time, but I already was. Also, Josh knew I was before I did. He had journaled months before the exact day that I would be pregnant with our girl. Again, Josh had heard from God, but I needed a test to know for sure. Last year, year 10 of our marriage, was a huge turning point. For one, I felt like God blessed me with a daughter because I finally got to a still quiet time with him and had accepted Josh as my one and forever husband. We've worked through a lot of junk with our families, and healing and forgiveness have occurred. I also honored God by being willing to put my personal wants aside, even if that meant sacrificing a huge want of another baby. And two, by Josh listening and obeying when the Holy Spirit burdened him to have another baby, it gave me the assurance that Josh does love me and is willing to sacrifice for me. It's made all the difference to be on the same page and wait for God to move, and it's been fun having a baby with my husband, who also wanted to. There have been far less struggles as our hearts and desires are more in line with one another and with God's. And we do have some communication things to work on here and there, but it's nowhere near the hurdles that we had before. 
One thing I used to really struggle with was comparing my marriage to others. Uh, This wasn't helpful and would just leave me depressed. I even stopped watching all movies that were labeled romance because they made me mad. I thought, what a giant lie. I think most people now are aware that marriages are tough. In fact, less and less of the next generation are getting married, and I actually don't blame them. But I'm so grateful God has taken me through this lesson and taught me so much about his love for me, and I actually feel like God hears my cries and wants to provide the longings of my heart. I'm happy to say that I've even had some moments where I've heard God say to me, see, this is why I picked Josh for you. I'm glad he picked Josh for me, and the list for the dream guy that I wrote out would be a joke. Josh really is a good husband, and we've agreed to put our relationship as a top priority and to never stop working on it. And I'm sure we have many hills to climb over. I've left a lot of side stories and messy parts out of this to make it more tame, but um, as I've prepared this, I've realized it was a story of obedience when I actually thought it was one about perseverance. So to those younger, I hope this helps you as you choose your spouse or marry who was picked out for you. But to those my age and older, please don't give up. We need to encourage one another. We need to forgive one another. And we need more people to share how it's worth it to go to the end. We need husbands and wives to be vulnerable with each other. So let's celebrate the wins and successes of marriages and figure out ways to work through the challenges. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Brady asked me to speak about being a mom, and once the nausea subsided, <laughs> um, I said, okay. I uh, do find it a privilege to share with you this morning. To reiterate a little bit, I know this day is hard for many of you. Um, there are some moms out there that you're thinking, this is not what I thought it would be. There are moms who have a prodigal, and you have been asked to trust God on a level that none of us um, have really experienced that kind of trust before. There's daughters and sons who simply are going through the motions to honor your mom today. Your mom has not done it well. Some of you yearn to be called mom, and God is not answering that prayer for you. Some of you have buried a child, and I cannot comprehend the grief that you journey through. Some of you are thinking this word will not be for you, but you're wrong. (laughs) It's going to speak to all of us. And um, so since there's just a wide variety of emotions going on today, will you pray with me? Lord, please encourage our hearts as we face depressing dark moments that leave us feeling hopeless and believing the lie that things will never change. Give us hope beyond the heartbreaks that we have experienced that bring us to such a time as this today, Mother's Day 2017. In the name of the one who knows us, the name of the one who holds our destiny, in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Ah. My small group is studying the book of Ruth, and it has been 
real incredible teaching. Not just the parallel of Jesus being our kinsman redeemer, but the roles that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz all play in different seasons of our lives. Um, in Ruth chapter 3, I want to take us to a verse. I'm going to read verse 1 through 4 and then concentrate on verse 3, a statement in there. So this is Naomi speaking to Ruth. She says, uh, it says, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servants girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor and she continues to give her instruction. So there is this... Um, Naomi's giving Ruth these instructions. Um, this is after Naomi and Ruth have traveled from Moab back to Bethlehem. And I, th I think in our study, we can see that Ruth, she was getting comfortable in her role. She was becoming daughter-in-law, a true daughter to Naomi. She was learning to provide for them. Um, if you don't know the, the story of Ruth very well, I encourage you to read it. It's, it's just only about four, four chapters. So verse 3, oh, I wanted to also say up there when verse 1 where it says, Find a home. My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? That actually means a place to abide, to dwell, um, to find life. And I think this will kind of click at the end of what I share. So down in verse 3, she says, Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Now remember, Ruth was a widow. Her wardrobe was probably um, something that indicated that to everyone. It probably covered her head to toe. Um, and we're seeing here that Naomi is instructing her to take off her garment of widowhood. So to peel it off, to remove it, to like shed it. Um, even though most of us have not mourned the death of a spouse or a child like Naomi and Ruth, I think we've all been where Ruth was and God has asked us to remove our mourning clothes, to move on to shed something that we're coveting, that we're striving for, we're clinging to this thing, this person maybe. Um, in different seasons, I think we have different roles. Sometimes we're to be Naomi. Uh, we've, we've mourned. I mean, Naomi had lost her husband and both of her sons. She mourned for 10 years. But the famine is over. And we've had God answer our prayer. Maybe someone has been Naomi to us and come alongside of us in a crisis time in our life and help guide us to remove these mourning clothes. Sometimes we're going to be Boaz. And Libby, you're going to love this. Boaz extended true kindness. And in the book of Ruth, that word is hesed. And that's a word we've talked about a lot in our study um, I believe the church is to be Boaz. 
we're in a room right now where there are people mourning and weeping. So extend that hesed to them. Uh, the study, this particular day's lesson, took us to 1 Samuel 15, where it's the, talking about the fall of King Saul. And Samuel had invested a lot on this guy. I mean, God had directed him to anoint him king. Um, and here we find that Saul proved to be a pretty disobedient, not very good leader. And so God removed the kingdom from his hands. Can you imagine Samuel asking the Lord, what, what is up with this? I invested so much in this. Where did, where did this go wrong? I, I mean, I was all in, Lord. <laughs> this left Samuel mourning for many years as well. And then in chapter 16, verse 1, God asked Samuel a question. He says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. I had to read that again because it said the time I read it again. How much longer, Trish, are you to keep keeping wearing these mourning clothes that, you've, that you have on? I've chosen something else. That word chosen means like he's wanting, he's wanting Samuel to, to experience something that he's got next for him. Eleven years ago, about, I went on a mission trip with Brady, and long story short, we decided to adopt. And talk about taking a step of faith and being completely outside of my box. Um, but I did believe with everything I have that I was being obedient in adopting Paul and Yesenia. But that decision brought experiences to my family that were hard, they were ugly, and they were painful. It almost ended my marriage, but that's a whole nother message. <laughs> um, I began to literally hate being a mom because of how ill-equipped and ill-prepared I was for the season of parenting that was getting ready to come along and what that was bringing to, to my children, all, all five of them. See, I am all three kinds of mom. I am a stepmom to Bailey, and I say that I did not bear her in my womb, but I bore her in my heart. Then there's Emma and Eliza. Then there are Paul and Yesenia. I did very little that was right when they came. I didn't come alongside in the overwhelming changes that were in their life. I was ignorant and I was naive. Talk about some mourning garments I was wearing. I wore several different ones. <laughs> I had one for resentment. 
one for shame, one for anger. <laughs> and when those quit fitting, I put on the one of control. You know, the one that, that says, since things are hard, ugly, and painful, I'll, I'm just going to take care of this, Lord, because you're not. You're not. About seven or eight years into living this way, wearing these weeping garments, God, God asked me, Trish, how much longer are you going to wear this? I've chosen something for your children, and you're not available to me. I can't use you. So how about you? Is God ready to do a new thing, and you won't remove your mourning garments? And here's, here's the point. It's so important. When we won't shed this garment of mourning, we are not available for God's next in our life. It's that simple. Now hear me clearly. No way am I saying to those of you who are experiencing the loss of a spouse or a child that it is time to move on. I pray regularly that I will be Boaz to you and extend that kindness to you, walk through that with you. But I also pray that when the time is over and God asks you how much longer, that you'll be ready to move on with him. I mean, knowing that the heartache, yes, the heartache will still be there, but moving forward. Isaiah 54, verse one through five, is a powerful passage about God's faithfulness when he's asking us how much longer. Uh, it says, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold them back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. You will remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the earth. Verse 4 says that we won't remember our widowhood, only the reproach of it. And God probably won't take the memory of our mourning experience away, but I promise you he will take the excruciating pain away. I live with hope that God's going to bring what's next into my family's lives because I got to the place where I was able to totally trust them into God's hands and release them. Do you have something that God is asking you to shed? Unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, jealousy, fear, discouragement, 
Those last two are real big ones. I'm going to kind of go off on a little side thing here. Fear and discouragement. You all know, and I talk about this with the ladies in my small group, the enemy cannot read our mind. The only thing that intimidates him is what comes out of our mouth. So God warned the children of Israel many times about the two biggest stumbling blocks that we'll have in the fulfillment of God's personal promises on our life, and that's fear and discouragement. To be discouraged can range from literally breaking or demoralization. And listen to the, the definition of demoralization. It's defined by when the enemy watches me enough to see what it is I fear I am the most, and then he sets out to confirm it. There is something about where our minds choose to dwell. Ephesians 4 22 through 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. And that literally means rotting. So which is rotting by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. These new clothes God is asking us to put on is not only the matter of receiving Jesus as our kinsman redeemer, but it's about putting on the experience as a Jesus follower. We must trust him to completely bring us through our mourning and weeping seasons. So I just encourage us to shed this mourning garment that we wear so God can take us to that next place. Brady's going to come. Thank you.